Look in the water. The ship is broke, Molino said matter-of-factly. There's oil. I don't want to look, his friend said. I'm scared. Let's go tell the captain, Molino said. But his friend was too scared and would not even look at the oil. He turned away from the sight. Then Molino saw what he thought was a steel plate from the hull float away. These guys are all too scared of the old man, Molino thought, because the captain is too tough on them. Well, the hell with it, Molino would tell him. He marched forward to the bridge and confronted the master of the ship, a rare and unthinkable breach of etiquette on most ships. What do you want? Patesel asked him on the bridge. The ship is broke, Molino said. That's none of your fucking business. Molino heard Patesel say, and then the captain physically pushed the seaman off the master's bridge and toward the stairs. None of my fucking business. It was completely Molino's business. He ran down, got his life preserver, and began yelling out to anyone he could see. Jack C. Brewer, the chief mate and second-in-command after the captain, chased him down and cornered Molino. Who are you to tell the crew? the mate demanded. I've been at sea long enough to know when there's danger, Molino said. The bosun, William Joseph Haro, intervened at this point. The bosun is the equivalent of a sergeant at sea, the head non-commissioned officer, so to speak, in charge of the deck crew. He channeled Molino's fears in a constructive manner. Take the covers off the boats, he told Molino. And Molino did just that. He ran to the starboard lifeboat at the stern and cut the cover off the boat. Then he jumped in. The quartermaster moved to swing the boat out and lower it. The starboard side was taking the most wind. Calm down, calm down, the bosun said. Move to the port side. And Molino did. There was far less wind on that side of the ship. He prepared the boat there for launching, but this time he did not jump in. He stood watch for two hours, never leaving the side of the boat, but grew too cold and eventually went below. About the time Molino went below, around 10.15 a.m., the Fort Mercer steel snapped again with a loud gun-like sound. Robert McKenzie, a seaman, heard three reports loud as if a machine gun had squeezed off three rounds. On the bridge, Newman turned to the purser and said, That sounds bad. Patesel again radioed in the news. The ship continued to handle well, but below them, they could see heating oil pulsing out like arterial blood from a ruptured artery. They stayed the course. They stayed their watches, too. Every four hours, the seamen would rotate in and new officers would man the bridge. Patesel stayed through all watches in this emergency situation. He'd been on his feet so long that he went down briefly to his quarters and took off his big boots and exchanged them for a comfortable pair of loafers. He was a big man, heavy, and this little gesture gave him a moment's relief from aching feet. At 11.40 a.m., the Fort Mercer crew heard a third loud report, and they saw a crack run up the starboard side of the number 5 tank, several feet above the waterline. Patesel sent out an urgent message now for all vessels nearby to stand by to come to the aid of the Fort Mercer. Still, the noon shift occurred without fanfare. Newman left the bridge and said to his relief man, Louis Culver, Don't let her go amidships, keep her into the sea. 
Newman went aft to the galley and was sipping soup when he heard another snap, a terrific crack of noise and a palpable surge of energy. He knew instantly what this was and rushed topside. Down below, Tony Pumps Roviero, the chief pumpman, was working with the chief engineer. They heard the snap, the crack, and felt the pulse of energy and thump through the hull. There was a pause. Then Chief Engineer Jesse Bushnell said, Pumps, I think one of the tanks amidships is crushed. Yes, I think so too, Roviaro said. Did the captain give any alarm? Roviaro asked that question, but no one seemed to know. He put on a life jacket and yelled back to the chief. I think she's cracked up. He ran onto the deck to hear one of the boys say, Oh, there's another ship ahead of us. Heck no, someone else said. That's the Fort Mercer floating. For certain, along the side of the other ship was the name Fort Mercer. But how could that be they were on the Fort Mercer?